I invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments. We come now to the Fourth Commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's bow together and ask for the Lord's help to understand His Word. Father, our Bibles are open here another Sunday morning. We've looked at Your Word and we want to understand it. I pray that by Your Spirit You'd help us to know what this commandment means, how to begin to apply it, how to think about it in the, whole, in the context of the whole of your word. Lord, I pray that as this commandment has caused uh, much controversy and division, that it would not prove to be so here, that you give us a, a great unity, and love for one another and for our Lord. And that would be what overrides us as we look at this, but also help us, Father, to be faithful to your word, not to make it say something it doesn't say, or be something it isn't. We ask for your help now, in Jesus' name, amen. I hope, I think, that we all understand that rest is a gift. A good night's rest is one of the most enjoyable things, to wake up in the morning refreshed, having had a good night's sleep is such a wonderful gift, ready to go for the day. I think I realized what a gift that was after our first child was born. Uh, everything changed and soon learned what nightless or uh, sleepless nights was all about and how uh, demoralizing going without sleep for weeks on end uh, felt. But a good night's rest is such a gift. A day off. It's wonderful to have the routines of life stop for a day and be able to take a day off from work and just the normal uh, everyday grind can be refreshing, rejuvenating, a new beginning, or a good vacation when you get an extended period of time off and you have more days than just one to be reinvigorated and to enjoy God's creation, people that you love, places that you enjoy being at, and it is refreshing. It can be such a delightful time. But isn't the case, even after a good night's rest, after a few hours, you feel like you need another one. After a day off and you go back to work, you can't wait for the next day off to come. At the end of a good vacation, you're already planning for the next one. They're also temporary. They just are a blip in our timeline, and they're over and gone. 
And it reminds us of the exhaustion that we feel from life once again. And it comes back, that exhaustion. And we understand that the reason those times are so precious to us is because so much of our life is just exhausting. And it's exhausting for more than just the reason of having tasks that we have to do every day and physical weariness that comes upon us from those labors. You already know and have addressed how exhausting something like a bad night's sleep can be, but also other instances in life, like a demanding boss who you can never quite please, who is never satisfied with your work, and you dread another day or another meeting because you know it is just going to be the dripping of dissatisfaction coming from his mouth on you again, and you're exhausted even thinking about it. Or you have one of those life-sucking relationships that you are around almost all the time, and when you're not around, you think about it, and it immediately drains you. And it doesn't matter how many good nights' sleep you have, because when you wake up, that is going to be there the next day. Or you have a debilitating physical malady that is with you wherever you go, when you lie down, when you get up, it's there. And rest is hard to find. You go on vacation and it goes with you. You have nothing on the schedule for the day off and yet there it is. Or you have nagging anxiety. You take that with you wherever you go. You wake up in the middle of the night and sweats and terror about any number of things. And you can never feel quite settled, just that constant fear of whatever or everything. Or you have a personal tragedy that changes every day off, every night's rest, and every vacation until you go home to be with the Lord. Or you have unrelenting guilt and a conscience that is plagued by sin you just can't seem to kick. And you have that heavy heart all the time. And so there is almost no rest and you long for some relief from these things. And all of these things leave you broken, joyless, heavy-hearted, and no matter how much sleep you get or vacations you take, you just can't catch up. And you ask the question, when and where will rest come from? How are you going to get it? Jesus said, Come to me, all who are labor, who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the point I really want to get to today. And I'm not going to get to it. I know that from the first service, so I want to tell you now. that our ultimate, final, complete, satisfying, enduring rest is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The relief from a conscience plagued by guilt is found in Christ. The relief of broken relationships fixed is found in Christ. The relief of anxiety is found in Christ. The relief of a broken body is found in the resurrection of Christ, which He one day will give you. The relief of the fear of death is overcome by eternal life that He alone gives you. 
and will bring you into his kingdom where there is eternal joy and perfect fellowship with God. All of that rest is accomplished in, through, and for Jesus Christ. And he gives it to you freely when you come to him by faith. Not that you experience all of it now. Some of it, yes. But one day, all of it. Perfect rest. That's the conclusion. We need to get there, and we won't get all the way there this morning. This morning we'll address the Sabbath as given by God to the people of Israel. As we've read the fourth commandment given by God to Israel at Sinai, the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, set apart unto God, a day when Israel was to cease from their work and remember God and His goodness and His greatness. It was a reflection of the God to whom they belong to, a God who gives rest. And for Israel and Sinai, some of that rest was going to find a completion as they are brought into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, which happens about 40 years after Exodus 20, Israel is on the brink of going into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they are told in Deuteronomy 3 verse 20, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you, and they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. They are going to be promised rest from their wanderings, rest from fighting in the land that he was giving to them. And this Sabbath, this weekly celebration that they were to keep in remembrance was really a taste of the rest that God would give give them in the land. A place where they would enjoy, they would continue to keep the Sabbath there, but the land itself would in part be a fulfillment of the God who gives rest. The application, I believe, for the Sabbath given to Israel is really fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who provides true rest to those who belong to him. And we rest now in his finished work at the cross that he has accomplished for us. And one day we will rest completely in his kingdom. We need to approach this commandment not just from an Old Testament perspective, but really from a New Testament perspective and application. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. He says that in in Matthew chapter 5. And no one can really this side of Christ, grasp the significance of the commandments apart from Christ. To do so would actually to be to misunderstand them. And we've seen this as we go through the commandments. The first command, you shall have no other gods before me, cannot be kept apart from Christ. For if you believe that you have God on your side, but you do not know and trust Jesus Christ, you really don't have God. Second commandment, to make no graven images was a command for Israel to literally not make an idol that either represents God or some other God. But even now, we cannot keep that commandment without Jesus because Jesus is the image of God, the complete and perfect representation of God, so much so that when you see Him, you see the Father. And so if you try to come to God any other way except through Jesus Christ, you have not come to God. So the second and the first command need to be kept 
or understood under the lens of Jesus Christ. Same with the third command that tells us, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We bear, as believers in Christ, the name of Christ. And it is His name, the name above all names, that we must not take in vain. And so if you try to keep the third commandment, without honoring and revering the name of Christ, again, you do not keep the third commandment. But what about the fourth commandment? Well, that one as well, we need to come to understanding that Christ fulfills that one as well. This commandment is notorious for the division that it causes among brothers and sisters in Christ. Not that it causes it, I should say. We cause it. But it is a source of debate. This commandment, as I've been working through the first three commandments, I've had a number of people come up to me in the past couple of weeks, say, a number of you have said, I wonder what you're going to say about the fourth commandment. Because you know already there's a variety of understandings about this and applications. And so... What is this saying? What does it mean? And there are a variety of ways that it is taken. And it's tricky in a sense because it treats a very specific day in a very specific way. And because of that, trust that believers who want to know and do God's will see this and think, I want to do what God says. God says, keep the Sabbath holy. I want to do that. And so, there is good intention, I trust, behind most of the applications of the Sabbath commandment. Don't think that people come to it with an intention to be divisive or to take God's word and twist it and distort it. I think it's rooted in a desire to keep God's word and keep it right. Nevertheless, we need to understand God's Word rightly and do our diligence to make sure we understand what God is saying and be faithful to His Word in totality. So still, the question comes, how do we keep the fourth commandment? Do we keep the fourth commandment? And there are a variety of viewpoints on this. And some would say that in order to keep the fourth commandment, you need to keep the seventh day holy. Seventh day being Saturday. And that should be the day of our worship, our devotion, setting it aside as unique within the week unto the Lord. Shouldn't do any work at all that day. And to some degree, you can understand that. If somebody comes to this passage, reads it, it says, keep the seventh day holy, you shall not do any work. They think, I want to do what God says. And they take it and run with it and apply it. You may know some of these people. And there is a spectrum on this as well, within this view, and some would say that this is so serious that anyone who does not keep the seventh day holy is of the Antichrist. Now, I'm not sure about their intentions. I'm not sure, actually, I know that is not good. But even with those who are faithful to Christ, they may take the seventh day and seek to keep it holy unto the Lord. Others would say that with Christ coming, dying on Friday, rising on Sunday, the first day of the week, there has been a change 
in the keeping of the Sabbath from Saturday, the seventh day, to Sunday, the first day, which is the Lord's Day. And so we need to keep keep Sunday, the first day of the week, holy in remembrance of the resurrection of Christ. And for the believer, it has changed. So now we keep Sunday as our Christian Sabbath. And this can be kept in a variety of ways. The commandment of not working can be transferred in differing degrees, and some would take it as don't do any work at all on Sunday. It is a day completely set apart, and you've probably heard stories from church history past where kids were to sit in church pretty much all day, and if they were to even look at a toy or think about playing, they would get in trouble. No fun, no playing on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, completely inappropriate. Some are less strenuous about it. They won't go out to lunch or do yard work or housework on that day. Some are even less stringent. They won't go out to lunch unless somebody else is buying. (laughs) They spend the day in an attempt to make sober reflection and consideration of Christ and of His goodness. Another view is that the Sabbath command has come to its completion in Jesus Christ. That the Lord's Day is not the Christian Sabbath, it's just another day, another name for Sunday, the day that Christ rose from the dead, but there is no obligation on the believer to keep that day as distinct from any other day. This view would say that the Sabbath was a shadow that found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath rest, and our rest is in Him alone. So those are several different views that could be elaborated on to much greater degree and with arguments made behind each one of them. It's not my attempt to do that this morning, but I do want to spend a moment and give you my conviction about this and where I stand on this issue so that you're aware that as I work through this text and this topic, you at least know where I land. Of course, each one of you before the Lord needs to search the scriptures and see if it is so, but I'll let you know at the start where I stand. My conviction is that there is no obligation on the believer in Jesus Christ to keep Saturday as a day distinct from any other day of the week. My conviction is also that the Christian believer is under no obligation to keep Sunday, or as some call it, the Lord's Day, even Scripture calls it that day, to keep it as distinct from any other day of the week. My conviction is that Every day of the week that we live in Christ Jesus is to be set apart unto Him, for service unto Him, and that with knowing Jesus Christ, every day should be treated with complete and utter devotion to Him. Now, I love Sundays. I love Sunday mornings. I love gathering with my church family. It is a highlight of my week. I look forward to it. I love singing praises with you to our God. I love fellowshipping with you. I love digging into God's word with you. I love taking communion with you. I love these moments together 
They are wonderful and delightful. I love that it is on Sunday that we gather in remembrance that our Lord rose on the first day of the week. I love that we can remember that on a weekly basis. But I do not believe that there is any New Testament obligation on the believer in Christ to set apart Sunday specifically as unique among the other days of the week. I love Mondays and I love Tuesdays and Wednesdays as well. I especially love Mondays because it's my day off. I believe and am convinced that physical rest is important and a gift from God. I am convinced that it would be foolish to go without stopping at your work, to work seven days, one week after another after another. I believe that could be greedy and selfish and foolish, and that God's gift to us is to rest. And I believe that should be done with wisdom and love for God and for neighbor. But it's not necessarily confined to one day of the week to set apart unto the Lord as holy. Some Sundays, you will find yourself more exhausted than any other day of the week because you have found that in Christian fellowship, there is something going on that you need to give your attention to in mercy and in love and in kindness that will exhaust your strength and deplete you so that come Monday morning you felt like you got hit by a train. I am convinced that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ and it is primarily about what Christ has done for us in redeeming us that at the cross when he declared it is finished He fulfilled the work that brings about our ultimate rest in the forgiveness of sins and the giving to us of his kingdom. That he is making us a new creation and it will be wonderful when we get to dwell with him in his kingdom where there is complete and total rest. There are several key texts that are crucial to my understanding of this, and you can turn with me to these. Acts chapter 15 is one of them. These have helped form my understanding of the Sabbath. They're not the only ones, but I'll share a few with you. Acts chapter 15 is a landmark event in the life of the church. The early church was wrestling with the question of how do Gentiles relate to the law of Moses? The law of Moses is what we're studying in Exodus, And some were saying that as Gentiles or non-Jews were coming to faith in Christ, that they had to submit themselves to the law of Moses. Acts chapter 15 verse 1, some brothers were coming down and teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were teaching Gentiles that they had to submit themselves to God's law, entry point being the act of circumcision. And in order to be saved, they needed to follow through with this. So as the church wrestles through this issue, a council is convened in Jerusalem, composed of some heavy hitters, Paul and Barnabas, Peter and John and James. And they're gathered together to discuss this issue. And Peter gets up and speaks and says in verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? 
but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. As Peter considers the salvation of Gentiles, he understands that the law of Moses, of which the Sabbath is a key component, is not something that can be placed upon them for salvation because they need to be saved by grace and grace alone. James, who kind of heads up this council, says in verse 19, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. This is an amazing statement because James is going to have a letter written that is distributed to Gentile churches telling them what their relationship should be to the law of Moses. And as he tells them what they should or shouldn't do, it's very, very limited, and it does not include the Sabbath, which is a striking thing because the Sabbath was such a key component and reflection of the Mosaic law and covenant that to leave it out is indicative of the fact that it was not expected of Gentile churches to keep the Sabbath. Galatians chapter 4 Verses 9 and 10 is another text that has been influential and it comes at the same time that this turmoil is going on within the church about how Gentiles relate to the law. And Paul is right in the midst of that debate. And in the book of Galatians, he's dealing with a church that has been infiltrated by teachers who are trying to get the Gentile converts to Christ to submit themselves to the law of Moses. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. See, as this teaching has been coming to these Gentile believers, they're being told they need to keep the law of Moses, and it's reflected in the fact that they've begun to observe these days, months, seasons, and years, which is reflective of the way that the law of Moses lays out the festivals and feasts, of which the Sabbath is kind of the cornerstone of it all. The weekly cycle of the Jews was to have a Sabbath once a week, and then they would have monthly festivals and annual festivals, and the Gentile converts are taking this on themselves, and Paul is saying, why are you doing this? And then he says in Colossians chapter 2, in a similar setting, verse 16, Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He's telling the believers at Colossae, don't let anybody judge you as to you keeping the Sabbath. And then he says this, Colossians 2.17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
It is in Christ that they are to find the fulfillment of the Sabbath, of that rest, of that devotion to God and worship of Him. That's where they find it. The Sabbaths were a shadow. Christ is the substance. Romans chapter 14 is once again the Apostle Paul speaking, but he takes a different tack here. There are kind of two ways to think about the relationship of the believer to the Sabbath. One is when believers are told, you must keep the Sabbath to be saved. You must keep the law of Moses to be saved. That's one camp. There's another camp that, by virtue of the place that they are, where they've grown up, their sensibilities, that they keep a Sabbath or keep a special day unto the Lord in good conscience before Him, knowing that it doesn't save them. But having a day designated to the Lord that they want to set apart and do it in honor to Him. And that's the kind of group that Paul is talking about here in Romans 14, verse 5. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So there's that person who thinks there is one day that is better, more important than others. There's another person who thinks every single day is alike. Here's what Paul says. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. If you are convinced that Sunday is a day that you should set apart for special devotion to God, that it should receive special attention out of all the other days, by all means, if you're convinced in your own mind, do it in honor to the Lord. If you're convinced that all days are alike, by all means, do that in honor to the Lord. Paul goes on in verse 6, applying it now to eating. He says, The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Again, if you are convinced, Sunday is to be set apart by all means. Keep it and do it to the glory and honor of God. I want to spend the rest of our time back in Exodus. I'm going to spend a a few moments thinking through this commandment as it is given to Israel, and then, God willing, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll return to this and think through how Christ fulfills this commandment. The command is simply in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, when God is instructing Israel toward this end, He's not simply telling them, remember and don't forget. You know that it's more than that. Just as a a wife may come to a husband 
at the end of their anniversary day and say, did you remember that today's our anniversary? And the husband says, of course I remember today's our anniversary. The wife clearly doesn't want to just know if his brain is working, wants to know if he has anything planned for that day. So, remember the Sabbath day is a call to remember it with the intention that it has to be handled with a response appropriate to the significance of the day. Remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath is a word, is a noun related to a, a, a verb that has the same kind of root to it, and that uh, means rest, or he rested. It's used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, in regard to God when he completed his work. It says, on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. It doesn't mean that God was exhausted and he lays down to sleep. It means that he ceased, he stopped his work to stop working. And so as Israel is called to remember the Sabbath day, it's remember the day of stopping, the day of ceasing. And the purpose is, of the remembrance is in order to keep it holy. Remember it for the express purpose of keeping that day holy. To keep something holy means to sanctify it or to set it apart. It's that fine china that you keep in a special cupboard that nobody can touch except for that one time that you have this very special company over. That's holy. It's set apart. This day was not to be like every other day of the week. Well, then it goes on to explain how this was to be remembered. In verse 9, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Really, in preparation for the Sabbath day, there had to be something else going on in the life of the Israelites. They had to be working six days. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work for Israel is to be a near constant activity for them. Six days out of seven. The word work emphasizes skilled labor and its benefits. It's the, the products of the labor, the economy that's generated. It's the services that is produced by labor, by work. Occasionally, the word is used to refer to physical property. That is the product of the work, your property that you own as a result of the work that you have done. This is a striking statement that the expectation of God is that his people are to be working. But the seventh day, it says in verse 10, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's to be a a different day, a day without work. Some people argue that this is um, giving the principle of one day in seven. One day in seven of rest. They generate that because for six days they are to be working and on the seventh they are to rest. And so the principle that's generated is one in seven. But the prohibition here is not that simple. That's not really the principle that's coming out from it. It's not a one in seven because... The exact day on which the rest is to happen is specified. It is the seventh day. And even the language that's used here is instructive for us because it says six days, 
six days, or the word six, there is a cardinal number. If you don't know what a cardinal number is, it's just a number that denotes quantity of something. So I have seven apples. When it says the seventh day, that's an ordinal number. That means it is a number in reference to its location. And so you could put it this way. This is the first apple I picked. This is the second apple, the third apple, the fourth apple, the fifth apple, the sixth apple, and the seventh apple. Seventh is the, ord- is the cardinal number. I'm sorry, the ordinal number. I can't even keep them straight. The command says you work a quantity of days, six days. But it's specified which day the rest is supposed to happen on. It is the seventh day. It's not that Israel could decide, you know what, I'm going to work Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and I'm going to take Wednesday off because that's the principle here. That's not the way it works. They were to work six days and the seventh was to be off. That's the specific command. They could not choose any six to work in whichever one they wanted off. On that Seventh day, they were to not do any work. This is where some of the confusion came for Israel in the time of Jesus because there were these ludicrous commands about what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath, how far they could walk, what kinds of uh, activities they could do, and it just became so extreme that it was a burden. But it begs the question of what was it that wasn't allowed? Is walking allowed? Is that work? Is cooking work? Is feeding animals work? What is it? Well, we get a few examples elsewhere in Scripture. In Exodus 35, verse 3, it says, You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. It recalls that in Exodus chapter 16, when God gave manna and he begins to give instructions about the Sabbath, Enough manna would be provided on the sixth day to be gathered so that you would have food to eat on the seventh day. And so doing even normal household chores seems to be out of the question on the Sabbath day. In Nehemiah chapter 13, it says in verse 15, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. They get in big trouble about this. It goes on, Nehemiah says, What is this evil thing that you're doing profaning the Sabbath day? They made it market day. They brought in things to buy and sell, and this was a violation of the, pro, of the commandment not to do any work. They were doing normal work, buying and selling, developing the economy, making supplies for their home. This was forbidden. In Jeremiah 17, verse 21, the Lord says, Take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. And do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Carrying burdens either on your shoulders or by a donkey, pulling it was expressly forbidden. It was not allowed. It seems to indicate for us that those jobs, those tasks that were ordinary, regular work and part of everyday life, 
And part of developing an economy and earning money and wages was to be done away with on that Sabbath day. And the extent of this was to everyone who was in Israel. In verse 10, it says, You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. You can picture this. Every store closed. No matches being struck to light the fire. No grinding of the uh, flour mill. No gathering of grapes. No sowing of seed. No sickle going to the wheat. Nothing. No noise of work like that going on. It would be so different, wouldn't it? The whole nation, if they kept this, once a week would have this profound testimony of their uniqueness to the world about how distinct they are because of the God who, to whom they belong. But clearly this is also a kindness of the Lord to give everyone a break. Physical rest. What a kind and generous God to give them the commandment. Take rest. Take rest. The explanation was, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The day that they kept set apart was to be a reflection of the Lord and how he worked. Again, not that he needed rest, but on the seventh day he completed his work. It was all done. It was so done that he ceased from it. Everything was complete. And on that day, he blessed the day, in effect, blessing all that he had made, showing it was complete, showing it was finished, showing he is the creator who, when he starts something, he brings it to completion. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, where the Ten Commandments are reiterated, the fourth commandment is given another reason for why it is to be kept. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt was to be commemorated on the Sabbath day. They were to remember that God had rescued them once a week on the Sabbath day. They reflected in their Sabbath keeping a God who created the world, who completes what he does, and a God who delivers his people from slavery. And of course, the Sabbath would be a great time to remember that because there's no way that Pharaoh gave the Israelites a day off. He was a cruel taskmaster, unrelenting, and always demanding of them more than they had time to complete. And so as they have this Sabbath day when God tells them to cease from their regular work, it's a reminder that God is a good, generous, delivering, and saving God, a God who is better than any other master. And as they kept this, they would reflect God's power and creation as well. This Sabbath keeping for Israel was to be a sign 
Exodus chapter 31, verse 12 through 17, really, but I'll just read verse 13. The Lord says to Israel, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You see, God put something into the weekly routine of Israel that was to remind them and also be a testimony, a sign of who they belonged to. It was so serious that in Exodus 31 verse 14, it says, everyone who profanes the Sabbath shall be put to death. This was such a serious sign and it required capital punishment when violated. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12 says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. This was a reflection of the covenant that God made with them and, it, and was built into their weekly schedule. Well, there's so much... More to say about this, and our time's up. And I told you that my intention to go on and describe how Christ fulfills this Sabbath for us, how we enjoy it in Him. I'm going to be gone next week, and so all of your questions about the Sabbath should be directed to John (laughs) while I'm away. In the meantime, you can spend time thinking and reflecting about the goodness of our God, who has indeed, through Jesus Christ, given us complete forgiveness of sins and rest from our strivings because of what he has accomplished. The one who declared, it is finished, sits at the right hand of the Father, and we have everything that we need in him. We look forward to unpacking that more with you in weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, your word certainly is rich, so rich I just feel so inadequate to be able to unpack it with any level of clarity. But Father, we trust that by your spirit you will give us understanding and help. Lord, I pray that you would give us as a church, again, right understanding of the Sabbath and of Christ and his fulfillment. Lord, we want to obey you. We want to follow you. Certainly don't want to dishonor you. So help us, Father, with this fourth commandment to do that in the right way, the way that you desire for us to do so. Thank you for your word. We thank you for salvation in Christ. Help us to live for him. By your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.